Welcome to the Love That For Us podcast. Come hang out with us as we explore a holistic approach to entrepreneurship, wellness, and navigating relationships in adulthood. We'll be getting vulnerable about life and dishing the business expertise we've learned along the way. Interviewing industry professionals, all while you get your weekly dose of girl talk and heart to hearts. We're your hosts, Carissa Emiko and Ashton Brooke. And this is the Love That For Us podcast. Hello, everybody. And I'm just, I'm beaming. I have beaming energy coming out of me today because two of my very best friends, I'm staring at them in the face right now. Ashton and Steph have never met. I'm going to introduce Stephanie in a second, Um, but we get to have her on the podcast today. And it's just surreal when two of your friends meet for the first time, even though we're not in person. I wish we could all be giving each other a real life hug. But this is good enough for now. Um, Ashton, how are you doing today? I'm doing great. Thank you so much for asking. I have my little rose tea and I'm loving it. And I'm stoked for today's podcast. Like, same, Steph, same, same. So happy to meet you. <laughs> oh, my gracious. This is just my favorite flavor of life when your friends become friends oh, with your friends. And today flavor. is absolutely that. I am so excited to be here to interact and learn with you, Ashton, and to get to have the one millionth and second conversation of this that I've had with Carissa mm-hmm. over our years of friendship <laughs> yes. is, yeah, just so excited yes, to yes, be yes. here. Oh, so good. Okay, you guys. So Stephanie is a mental health professional. She specializes in somatic psychology and healing, and she's been a somatic healer in different capacities for almost seven years. Steph, that's a long time. Seven years? Like, well, I mean, that's a while. It is a long time. And seven as a number in nature is really interesting. We know our taste buds turn over after seven years. If you move to a new place, it takes your body about seven years to acclimate to a new temperature. There's a lot of importance around seven and chapters of our life. So it does feel very poignant to get to be here and celebrate that seventh, uh, that seventh transition with you guys. Soak in the seven. Yes. Mm. Okay. So Steph blends her intuition, her realness, her humor, and it's her mission to guide and support people in overcoming their past trauma and to be able to live as their embodied true selves by using the body's inner wisdom. So we're going to talk about somatics today. And Steph, I would love to just start by telling all the friends what the heck is somatics? Like, what is somatic psychology? What does that word mean? Break it down for us in a way we can understand it. Absolutely. I think I'm really glad we're starting just from the beginning here because somatic has become such a buzzword, right? We see it everywhere. It's like the new big thing. So let's get really clear about what somatic in essence means. Soma is body in Latin. And so anything involving your body is inherently somatic. This means that taking a walk is a somatic activity. This means that sitting down to eat dinner is a somatic experience. Anything that involves your body and you can't really truly separate from it is somatic. And so you exist somatically inherently already, which is really cool. This also means that when we are looking at things that are more complex, like your internal experience of mental health, that we want to understand the intersection between your psychology and the way that your body experiences it. And this is really where the somatic psychology, somatic psychotherapy world intersects with our day-to-day experience as a human inside of a body as our container. So so what is so what is like the difference? I think so many people are used to maybe traditional talk therapy, right? Where 
where you're just kind of like telling a therapist all your problems and they're listening to you and hopefully you're getting something out of it, right? But what what do you see the difference in in approaching a therapeutic setting with somatics as opposed to maybe the traditional therapy setting that people might be used to? The biggest difference is going to be that I'm not so focused on what you're saying or what your brain thinks the story is. I'm more interested in what is happening in your body as you're telling me the story or as you are just showing up to be seen by somebody who is looking Mm. at your body, right? Mm -hmm. In a ideal world where we have space to play in our somatic experience, we are doing movement techniques. We are doing different Uh, movement sequences, different visualization exercises to really get a sense of what your body thinks about what's happening. Because it can often be different than what our brain thinks, right? There can be almost like a dissonance. My brain says, I'm fine, nothing's wrong. And my body is actually giving me a lot of signals that tells me something is very wrong. Right, right, right. (laughs) Your body's like, get me the heck out of here. And your brain's like, it's okay. It's okay. We're chill. We're fine. You're fine. And your body's, your heart's beating, you're sweating. All the things are happening in your body. Exactly. Exactly. And this is actually, you know, our first doorway into the somatic world. This is our somatic curiosity. We go, huh, something is happening. What's going on? What does my body think is happening? And we really expand on this by personifying the body. If your body were a separate entity Mm. that could have a conversation with us, could sit down at this table and say, hey, Steph, this is actually what I think is happening. Whoa, we would get so much more information. And then we would probably more successfully be able to address, to help, to support, to get those needs met because your body could just tell you. And that's the cool thing about somatics is really, it's just a different language. And so a lot of what I do with clients and um, in my teaching work is just teach people how to translate the messages that your body is giving you into language that your brain can understand. Is there a lot of um, difficulty for people who maybe don't have that relationship with their own body, don't feel super present or like comfortable in their body, don't know how to talk about what their body is feeling? Like how do you work with people that are like brand new to that whole concept and how do you bring them in to start feeling like comfortable and aware and intuitive for that kind of stuff? Because I'm guessing a lot of people you work with are so new to this whole concept. Totally. And I'm glad you brought this in, Ashton, because I think this is some of what's what keeps people from trying out somatics is they go, oh, but I can't identify those things. So I guess I'm not ready or it's not the fit for me yet. But what's really neat is you have had at bare minimum the experience of your stomach dropping when something went wrong mm. or something scary happened right that like pit in your stomach you've most likely i'm going to you know put a million dollars on this you've also experienced butterflies in your stomach right mm-hmm. another sensation no real butterflies in there but that feeling that flutter that movement and that tells me you actually are sensing your body You do have an inner tracking and inner muscle that does this. And this is born into us. This is called interoception, inter, internal, ception, like perception. I can sense my Mm -hmm. internal experience. And so we are expanding on a muscle you actually already have, which is what makes this concept and this modality really cool. We're working with a system that's already in place 
it's more like um, this this room was always in your house. Actually, more of like there's an intercom system in your house, and sometimes it turns on by itself, and sometimes it turns off, and you're not quite sure. I'm here to actually show you where the button is so that you can Mm. turn it on and turn it off so that you can hear yourself from different parts of the house if you need to. That's Mm, good. I love that visual. That's good stuff. Okay, so kind of on the same topic of maybe someone that's learning how to connect with their body that butterflies in the stomach, your stomach dropping on a roller coaster or, or whenever, what are some simple practices that you give to your clients, that you give to your friends that kind of get you in that in the moment with your body and sensing those things for someone that might be a little more offline, so to speak, throughout the day? Like what are some simple ways people can connect with their body or maybe even like start the day that way? I, I assume and imagine if you're really beginning your day that way, you're setting yourself up for that connection to your body for the remainder of the day. So what are some tips you could give us there with that? Yeah, the, you know, there's such different um, ways to notice and to get into our body, especially uh, off of your capacity level. If you're somebody who's been doing yoga for years, you have a different relationship with your body, just like Ashton brought in, right? Somebody who is totally new to this, who's just hearing this idea for the first time, going to be at a different place, going to need a different kind of check-in. So the idea of like our quick tip, our quick trick is going to be different for each person. Mm-hmm. And with that said, the tool that I use the most frequently with my clients across the board, new old school vets, people who've been doing this for years is a pause. And I actually just want to note, like, we could actually try that right now if that feels okay. Just for this moment, both, you know, for those of you listening and for my gals on the other side of the microphone, if we were to take a second, if you were to maybe lean back in your seat and yeah, yeah, notice that right away, both of you started to roll your shoulders, that there was kind of a drop in your chest, that your goal right now isn't to do anything. It's actually just to stop Mm. for a second. And how often it is that we don't give ourselves permission to stop. We live in a world that is constantly going. We are bombarded with information, with people, relationships, to-do lists, our kids, our work, you know, whatever it is, traffic. If you had the chance to stop, that's actually when you hear what your body is Mm. saying. And so none of the tips and tricks really matter if you aren't first pausing. Whew. I was really ready for that to just turn into a, a whole guided meditation by you for a second. Like I really, You're I really okay. leaned back and was really ready to just have my eyes closed for the next Steph's hour. Like, so yeah. <laughs> your voice, your voice does that to me. Um, that's so beautiful, and I, it's in the noticing, like, and and so much like you're saying of our world, this go, go, go. And and I'm going to start bringing in like entrepreneurship and business here because we're going to be intersecting that. I think as a business owner, as an entrepreneur, as even someone with a side hustle or someone that wears a lot of hats, we are always go, 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 go on to the next thing. That helps us feel sometimes that's protecting us, right? From actually pausing and listening to our body and hearing what's going on. We're, we're maybe some fear comes up of like, well, what what's going to happen if I pause and listen? What's going to happen if I stop and it's quiet for a second, right? So how do you feel 
so you're an entrepreneur. <laughs> you 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 run a business. I've gotten to watch you just flourish and grow this beautiful beautiful company, Stephanie Somatics. Um, what does that look like for you in your schedule and your day to day? What do those pauses look like for you as somebody that is a somatic healer who runs a team who has all these different tasks to delegate? What does that look like for you in your day to day? Absolutely. Well, I really appreciate this question because it starts to ask how my personal practice actually dictates the way I run my business. Yes. And that is so much of where we as women are finding our stride in, I think, the business world. We've been coming into systems and organizations that have been classically patriarchally built with a hierarchy, with a pinnacle point. And then when we look at more matriarchal cultures, more matriarchal setups, it actually is more of a circular shape rather than a triangle. And so how do we start to work with at, work with our own system and say, but what if my business actually was set up in a way where it worked for me, it worked for my system. And that's really mm-hmm. how I've approached this experience. You know, I want to note, sometimes I approach my business this way. And sometimes my old patterning kicks in and I get sucked into that narrative. I should be doing more. I don't really have time to stop. Oh my gosh. Like the pause sounds nice and lovely until you're having a panic attack and you've got two projects due and my God, we got to do it right now and leave the house. I mean, ooh, let's just also offer room, you know, for the humanness in this process. So, um, the way that I have really found my stride in this company and in this business and in building into a an experience that was not my training which was not my plan you know I come from a you know clinical psychotherapy background my plan was to sit on a couch for the rest of my life across from somebody <laughs> else on a couch and hear about yeah. their day and lots of I, couches lots of couches and lots of lots crying of and yes. here i am doing you know some of that still but it's not the majority of what i do anymore which has been really interesting mm-hmm. to transition away from that and so it's really asked me to pay attention to each little addition each area of having to figure something out having to learn having to ask for help all of those areas has really challenged my belief of self how I feel in my own skin, my sense of worthiness, who gets to achieve and who gets to have grace for mistakes. All of those things really come in when we're looking at our businesses from this mental health standpoint. And if we're adding in the somatic layer, I'm using my body actually to catch those moments, to track them and to make them have a little bit more ease for me. Mm. I'm so curious, like, I don't even know if you would know this ratio, but like are you working with a lot of business owners and do you see any like patterns or similarities between them or between you and that other business owner like that you've picked up on over your experience? Mm, That's a really good question. You know, I have some folks that work for themselves independently. I have some folks that um, do run their own businesses. It's not necessarily that I'm catering specifically to that demographic. That's not always the the person I'm speaking right. to in my, in my work. Um, but I do see across the board for everybody's relationship to their career, whether that be the entrepreneur, the employee, the manager, the self-starter, the side hustler, 
everybody's work self intersects with their mental health. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Like all the time. I'm like, it's the same person. I'm like, (laughs) I feel like I'm processing my how my mental health affects my work self more than how my mental health affects my personal life sometimes. Because as someone who is very career focused naturally, and or you could say my inner child childhood trauma made me very career focused. One could say, one could say. Yeah. Um, but I do, I do really enjoy work, and so it's really easy to make that a huge part of my life. But even in that, I think understanding like who Carissa is separate from career Carissa, you could say, or entrepreneurship Carissa, like they feel. Um, so blended so many of the time. I think when you're an entrepreneur, and I know all three of us can relate to this, like there's not really like a clock in, clock out, right? So we, our bodies in a sense can kind of always be online to that career side as well. And it feels a little difficult sometimes to separate and to be able to say like, okay, we didn't technically like put a piece of paper in the little clock no who probably does that anymore that's so old school but (laughs) time punch we didn't really yeah time punch card things yeah um but what's a way um maybe when you're like feeling the stress of work or the pressure of work you are noticing I'm online with my body I'm noticing that I have some project I have to do tomorrow. I have something coming up. It's not happening right now, but my body's feeling that right now. Um, what is maybe a little like practice you would guide someone through there in in that moment with that stress? And this doesn't have to be work related for somebody. It's honestly what that's anxiety. You're thinking about the future, and it's not happening to you in the present, right? Um, yeah. Do you have anything that comes to mind to walk someone through that? Totally. Well, I think. First, what's so important about the somatic work is if I'm going to ask you to tune into your body, do an exercise in there, your brain needs to buy in that what we're doing is real, right? This is legit. There's science behind it. This is not something some gal on the side of the road made up. Like this is, you know, tried and true, has been practiced in many different cultures in many different ways. So, first and foremost, let's do like a little quick psychology on what's happening there. If I'm so concerned about this project, you know, I can use myself, for example, project I'm working on. If I've got to get these, um, these materials created, this project done by Friday and today's Wednesday, and instead of being present here with you guys, my brain is going, okay, well, maybe we can sort this and organize that right away. My first cue is I'm not actually present. Mm, I'm up here. Mm-hmm. I'm in my head. I'm not in my body here with you, checking if my feet are on the floor, if my legs are crossed, if my arms are crossed, am I breathing into my belly, into my chest? So that's my mm. first scan. When I notice, oh, I'm not present, my cue is that literally in my brain, I'm somewhere else. And that is my mm-hmm. trigger that says, ah, okay, so let's check in on your body. How's she doing? And then I'm doing my scan. Okay, you know, you can go top down or bottom up, whatever direction helps you most, but. If we are crossing our body, your legs are crossed, your arms are crossed, what that does is send a message to your nervous system that says defense, protection. I'm literally Mm. needing to cross, to cover, to protect my inner core. And so my first move, I'm literally going to do this with you right now. I'm going to uncross my legs and then I'm going to check in on my breath. Oh, my breath is kind of high in my chest. Oh, I wonder what that is. Oh, wow. I really feel that in my shoulders. Okay. If I'm going to make that adjustment Mm. and each little thing that I'm describing 
this is what you can be doing separately. And I know that this might sound really simple, but it is again, that idea of the pause. This is our starting base so that you can then do all the other things, use all the other tools that you've got. So we've reoriented, okay, I'm going to be present in this moment. I caught myself with my brain. I'm adjusting with my body. Now I want to get curious. Mm. Why am I so worried about that project? At this point in my life, I've turned in plenty of projects, finished college (laughs) twice, I've made a business, I'm doing something right. But so interesting that there's that voice in my head that says, if we don't worry about this nonstop, something will go wrong. You have to worry about it like this. And Mm. that I have to. Ultimatums, big statements like that tells me it's not adult Stephanie, that's kid Stephanie, right? Mm. And so now I know that that means, okay, I'm having way more of an experience than just adult Stephanie having a chat with her gals. Right. Oh, something bigger is happening. And that is where we then get to use all of our additional tools. Really simple phrases that I use with my clients most frequently. I see you, I hear you, and I'm listening. And if Mm. I can identify it's inner child, Stephanie, who's running the show right now, whether it's a sense of shakiness in her hands, a high, tight breath, I can make that adjustment, put my hand on my chest, maybe hold my hands within one another and offer that statement. I see you, I hear you, and I'm listening. And right away, mm. I feel my body respond to that because that's what we really needed as kids was to be have somebody notice us without us having to get super loud. And then for somebody to come towards us to soothe us and really just to be there. I'm not fixing, I'm not getting the project done, I'm not doing anything. Right. But I'm being with, and the being with is really where we see trauma making its biggest impact. I think it's Peter Levine says that trauma is not what happens to us, but rather what remains with us in the lack of an empathetic witness. That is what we are doing when I offer, I see you, I hear you, I'm listening. I am that empathetic witness to that experience that is very palpable and real in my body. And to do that for yourself, like to be that witness for yourself is, that takes a lot of practice. I think so many of us have that shame piece. It's you shouldn't be feeling that, right? To get to the place of curiosity. And I know, Steph, you talk about this curiosity all the time in your work, I'm sure with your clients and on your Instagram and all of that. The curiosity piece is so important. And that's like with your friends, with a partner, with your kid, whatever, that curiosity piece that's just so non-threatening to and so inviting. Oh, I want to learn more about that. Tell me more about that. To be able to gift that to yourself and to speak that way to your own inner child is honestly next level healing, in my opinion, when you can actually like get past that shame piece of you shouldn't be feeling that. Or unfortunately, a lot of the phrases that maybe some of us heard from parents or some figure, some caretaker in our life, get over it, suck it up, stop crying. You know, it, you're, it's not that bad. It's not that hard. These, these phrases that become our own inner critic, our own inner voice of how we speak to ourselves and to switch that, to go, to go from having that maybe is, is what's inside your head to I'm here. I see you. I'm listening. Tell me more. That sounds hard. And and not even in a way where that voice is trying to fix it, but just to be there and to witness. 
to do that for yourself is so beautiful and also really can be really intimidating and hard to get to that place. There's a an, an analogy you have, Steph, that you, uh, you've you told me before about a marble and a groove. Um, and I feel like that's kind of one of those things. Could you explain that analogy for us? I just yeah, love so much. I love this one. Um, so what, what Chris is referencing right now is this idea of building a new pattern, right? She's talking about the patterning that we are taught when we're kids, that we are taught, you know, all the way up until we realize, oh, something isn't working for me. And we can think of that pattern like a marble rolling down a wooden board, a wooden table. And each time that marble rolls in the same direction, it creates a little bit more of a groove. Now for that groove to get super, super deep, it needs to happen over and over and over. And that is what we experience all the way up until we become aware uh, something isn't working for me. And so when we are starting to change our patterning, we are still starting the marble at the top. You are still going to human. You're still going to get triggered. You live in a wild world with the rest of us. And there's a lot of things we can't control. But each time that marble starts to roll down that old groove, if we can catch it and realign it, oh, we're actually going to go to the left now. We're actually going to go this direction. The more times we do that, the more times we deepen that new groove. And at some point, that new groove will actually be deeper than the old one. And it won't actually have to be so um, effortful to reorganize mm-hmm. and to reorient. It will just be automatic. Hmm. I'm picturing like, I mean, and I don't even think this applies to just business owners because I know we're going to have people who listen to this that haven't started or run a business, but feel that sense of urgency, feel that um, hustle culture internally that there's so like underneath that pile of mess um, is like that story, that narrative that's saying like, you have to, we have to do this. There's too big of a threat looming over us if we don't fill in the blank. And I'm thinking just about like projects and business and the the need, the pressure for income and what that plays out for people like us who we've had years maybe of hustle culture and we haven't dealt with, we haven't listened and paused and asked and been curious about like what is underneath this narrative of us telling ourselves we have to hustle or else something will fail or when there's and that threat that, that is there. But even looking back like to my own years of business, like I just want to go back to that girl who was had her first panic attack because my schedule was so booked and I was just looking at my calendar and what I had ahead of me and I experienced my first panic attack and I was like, what is going on? I had no... I hadn't had experience with anxiety, but I love that visual of like forming a new groove with your marble and your choices and your beliefs so that even though the need for your business to keep going or growth and money to keep cycling through like for your life's needs to be at a, in a place of decisions that come from peace and not hustle and not fear. Like that sounds like really rewarding. And also it does take so much conscious effort to rewire that marble. Like what, what do people need to do to start that pattern, 
even because I think like that pause, Chrissy, you kind of touched on this, like there is a big threat involved in wanting to pause and asking and being curious, like, what is my body like experiencing that can just open these floodgates that a lot of people don't want to, to open. So what does it take for someone who maybe hasn't gone there yet, but like knows, and they're listening to this and they're like, my marble needs rerouted and I want to work <laughs> from a place of peace, you know? Absolutely. Wow, Ashton. Okay. So there's a, a couple big things that I heard you highlight and I want to make sure I, I really catch all of those overarching, you're really talking about safety, right? How do mm. I feel safe enough to make the adjustment? I, I need to feel like there's potential for good to come that I can have faith that things will work out for me. All of that is about sense of safety. And, um, you know, hustle culture essentially says I'm not safe enough to stop. I have to keep doing this. And so that I think is really where we start mm. to first get curious. What are the areas that I am moving from a place of I'm not safe and so I have to do this in relationship to money, in relationship to our business, in our literal relationships. Um, and from that place of curiosity, we actually get more information. I think it's right. Dr. Becky Kennedy who says that the opposite of shame is curiosity. And so mm. often when we think about these ideas we do what Carissa mentioned, right? I shouldn't be like this. I shouldn't be having this panic attack. I've been doing this job for years. Like why is today any different? But it also touches, you know, on the second piece that I'm hearing you note, which is um, underlying trauma. And we don't define trauma as one specific instance anymore. We really define it in a much broader sense now. And the more we learn about it, the broader it gets because gosh, we are also unique and individual and it's really about the way that one person is experiencing that moment. And so trauma is more defined as something that was too much for too long or something that wasn't enough for not long enough. And so this mm. story you're telling, I'm hearing in that moment, you looked at this calendar and went, oh, it's too much. And there's, mm. and there's nothing to be done about that. I have to do all these things and I can't, I can't resist any of that. And that to me says, okay, that means Ashton probably experienced other life experiences where something was too much and she felt like she didn't, couldn't, didn't have an option. She had to go through these things and she was by herself. She needed help. She needed permission to say, you know what, Ashton, it is safe to cancel all of those appointments. You don't have to do that. Mm. But that was what was missing then. I know. Did that get you? Not me. <laughs> yeah. I was like, we're going to start some water works in here. I was like, must turn off brain. <laughs> must right disassociate. There. Yeah. Must disassociate because, whoa. It's but like, actually... I don't actually want to disassociate. I'm just like. <laughs> yeah. But whoa, it is so vulnerable and scary yeah. to actually have somebody, even though that's the thing we tell people we want. I want to be seen. I want to be heard. When someone actually rolls out of the deep and does that to you. <gasps> mm. Oh my God, it's actually horrifying. It's terrifying in your body. You're like, well, and uh -oh, it's no. it's horrifying and terrifying because it's new. Like yes. it's actually just unfamiliar. Like that's what your your body is so used, sadly. A lot of us, our bodies are used to the traumatic experience or the fight or flight or fawn. Our, like that we're so used to our nervous system being dysregulated that actually comfort and true witness of like seeing, I'm getting so emotional because it's like that 
we all want that. Like if you can really dig deep, like that's really what you want. But because your body has been experiencing something so different, the unfamiliarity is actually scarier than than the goodness of a true witness and of peace and of comfort and of a regulated nervous system. And when we say we want to approach our lives or our relationships, our career with this regulated nervous system and feel safe and feel that peace, we we need safe and peace to like not feel as scary first because then it's something that we get to invite. And that in itself takes practice of okay, peace feels good. I I can sit in the silence right now. I can I can enjoy my body feeling good right now and take it in. And then you you start to just get used to that peace and you're it's not as it's not a threat to ironic stress, peace being a threat because it means we're going to experience something different. And then it's like in those moments it's the repetition, that's the marble grooving, new grooves, new grooves. To when the next time you start filling up your calendar and you're making those appointments, you're making those meetings, you're scheduling whatever, insert here, and you you have the awareness, you're noticing now, right? We're talking about that that notice, the pause, taking life a little bit slower so that we're not just rushing through it. And you sense in your body a tightness in your chest or a shortness of your breath as you're adding something to your calendar. And in that moment, you can make a decision for future Carissa, for future Ashton, for future stuff. You know what? Can we change that meeting to next month or next week? And then like you're actually stopping that cycle now because you're aware of what's happening in your body, even adding it to your calendar instead of just, I got to go, go, go. I got to fill my schedule up to the brim. And you can just start to work backwards a little bit and not scheduling out your panic attack, so to speak, as if we're like filling up our schedule, you know? Right, right. And Mm -hmm. I think what feels really important to note in what you're describing, Carissa, is it's a part of the conversation for us to recognize the privilege and choice. If I am the only income in my household, booking out that calendar, I have to, I I do, there is a have to. Yeah. That is different than just- Yeah. Uh, the narrative of my panic attack. If I have the choice to be slow, you know, we really have to talk about the privilege in choice, the privilege in the slowness. Um, And that's why so many of us do go into business for ourselves, right? I've had the experience of being overworked. I've had the experience of feeling like I couldn't say no to jobs because I live by myself and somebody's got to pay this rent and I'd like to eat this week. So at the end of the day, it does come down to me. So we're again getting curious, what are the patternings? What are the learnings you've had? What direction has your marble rolled around permission, choice, grace, space, and who gets to succeed, what succeeding looks like? Um, you know, and again, this intersection, our business self is our mental health self. Mm-hmm. Mm. Okay, Steph, I have another dictionary definition question for you. Okay. <laughs> It's you can answer it. Don't worry. <laughs> it's Im- it, embodiment because uh. I even I in theory know what embodiment means, but <laughs> I also feel like it's a it's an abstract word that honestly is kind of getting thrown around a lot as like a hot word in maybe just like the social media mental health world. 
And I would love to just break down what embodiment is, and then we can get into embodiment as an entrepreneur. But can you explain to us, like, what the heck actually is? Take us back to the root. Yeah. Take us back. (laughs) Well, in Latin, just kidding. I don't know. (laughs) Oh, I was ready. I I was ready for the Latin. I mean, you gave us Soma, so like, I wouldn't doubt. I wouldn't doubt it. (laughs) That's my my elevator speech for somatic. But embodiment, gosh, I don't think I've gotten this one quite as much. Because again, I think most people feel like they could identify it because we use it so frequently. Um, Mm -hmm. But if I am really thinking about how to define embodiment, I have to think about my experience of real embodiment. And the experience of real embodiment um, is actually a much more tactile description than just a concept. So... Mm -hmm. The, the image that actually comes to mind is the experience of putting on footy pajamas where you pull each leg into the, into the socket and you zip yourself in and you stretch each arm in, you know, <laughs> and maybe this analogy, we put like a little hood up as well. If you were to literally get inside of your body that way, to Ooh. feel, to feel from the inside, your body as your container, all the way down through your leg to your toes, your other leg, really tangibly like climbing inside into this container and the way that you would move differently because you could feel the blood, Mm. the muscles, the tendons, you could feel the bones in there even. I am truly in my body when I intentionally put it on like this. Wow. And what's hard about embodiment, like real embodiment living this way all the time, is that means that I have to be inside of the container where the feelings are experienced. Because they're not called thinkings, they're called feelings. And the place Mm -hmm. of your feelings is in your body. And oof, that is so hard to sign on to because I can't really always control which ones I'm going to have when. This example that Ashton's given us of looking at the calendar, she didn't expect that. That was a surprise. And because she was in her body enough, that panic attack snuck up on her. If she Mm. hadn't been in there, she wouldn't have felt any of those feelings, right? She would have been floating above, dissociating, out, distant. But when we're inside of our feeling interpreter, our feeling translator, the, the screen door is thin and whatever the wind blows will impact me. And that is really tough. That is really scary. But if we can do that often enough, what we actually build is a sense of security and safety with Mm -hmm. the experience of being in our body so that I know if I want to close the door and not just leave that screen out, that I have that option and that choice. But if I don't have a relationship to being inside, then I'm not the one who can close the door. It's always a screen. It's always feeling and it's always happening. Oh, the screen door analogy. You're the queen of analogies, let me just say, first of all. We love the visuals. The amount of analogies I've gotten to be in the presence of in in our friendship, it's just wow. It's a gift. It's a gift. It's a gift, one could say. Well, I want to know. It's a somatic gift. That's an experiential thing, and you have experienced that, and that's why it hits harder, 100%. It does. It does. I love the screen door because of the choice you're talking about, right? Like when, when you go into your body – 
not just when you go into your body, when you develop a relationship with your body where you can hear what it's saying, right? Um, our our therapist, me, me and Steph share a therapist, or technically <laughs> she's a somatic coach. We've done that a couple of times. It's very cute of us. Um, I imagine this is a common phrase that you say to your clients as well, but maybe I'll be, you know, saying my, my chest is tight or my arms feel like they're glowing a golden light or my fingers are tingly. Um, and she'll say, what, what would that tingly feeling say to you? If it, if it had words, what would that say to you? Right. So that's to me really a huge way of actually developing that relationship with your body. When you're, when you start to listen to it, it becomes personified and you're, you're hearing what it has to say to you with those feelings, with those sensations. So when you get to this place of developing the relationship with your body, then you have the choice. Then the things aren't happening to you as much. Um, you're just more experiencing it from center, from who you are. And then you do have the awareness, the capacity to say, you know, this feeling's too much for me, so I'm going to leave. <laughs> this this family event is too much for me, so I'm going to leave. Or next time I'm going to plan for it shorter. This noise level in this concert's too much, so I'm going to bring my headphones, whatever it is you have the relationship. And so you can close the door. You could crack it open sometimes and peek out. You could even open your screen door. And that's, I think sometimes when we think going into our body is so scary, it means we have to feel all the feelings. I think it feels a little less scary when we can talk about it as the screen door and the door, because it's not like, oh, this big tidal wave is going to take you over. It's more this awareness that you get to decide and have choice with you know, what you do and don't want to experience. And you still get to have a no, you still get to have a window of tolerance that's allowed and not shameful if it's a small window right now. Um, actually, Steph, could you also explain a window of tolerance and what that what that means and looks like? Totally. I'm loving these dictionary terms we're popping in. I know. People. You're these just are- you didn't know you were gonna be a dictionary today, <laughs> and I was just gonna quiz you on all these definitions. Thank God I studied. Um, <laughs> the window of tolerance is your is in relationship to your nervous system. And your nervous system is in a lot of ways, vastly complex, but if we really distill it down to the most important pieces that we need to know to understand our mental health, there is the sympathetic, which is our state of arousal, our state of activation. And that doesn't have to be bad. That can be, I woke up to brush my teeth. I'm moving around the house. I'm alert. I'm aware. I'm looking around. And then on the other end, that's an upward direction. Sympathetic goes up. Parasympathetic is below and that is our down regulation, our rest and digest. You take a seat, you've had a meal, literally digesting. Now on both of these ends, up and down, we can range into discomfort. Something is too activating and your body is resting so hard to get away from an experience that you actually freeze. You're not feeling, you are so down low. Um, And so our window of tolerance is in between those two pieces. In between your sympathetic and your parasympathetic is your window of tolerance, which is your window where you are able to experience activation and downregulation and tolerate those experiences, not be comfortable with them, tolerate them. And that's really important here. To tolerate it is essentially to say, I can feel it and I'm okay. Not, mm-hmm. I can feel it's, it and I'm It's not taking me over 
It's it's not making me panic. Not like, ooh, this feels good, but I'm not dying. And I'm aware that I'm not dying. (laughs) Yes. Yeah. Right. Right. I'm not overwhelmed by this experience. Um, And our window of tolerance is really where we do all of our true healing work. And our goal in healing is to expand our window of tolerance. So when Mm. we are kids, if we don't get that empathetic witness, that support, our window of tolerance is thin. So our experiences, anything, somebody honks at you in traffic and you have a whole experience, your window of tolerance was small. You weren't able to distinguish the difference between somebody honking Mm. versus being a kid and getting yelled at. So Mm. to widen that window, we come out, we come into our overactivation and then we come back in. And that tells your body, whoa, I was out here in a place that I thought I was dying. I was overwhelmed. It was too much. Oh, but I'm okay now. Mm -hmm. I'm okay now. And your body goes, oh, oh, we're okay now. Okay. The next time that we go to that place, we know what will happen next is okkayness. And that's how we expand Mm -hmm. our window. I love that so much. Um, It reminds me of our ice bath experience stuff. Mm. The first time I did an ice bath was with Steph. Um, I've only done a real proper ice bath, like that one time where the water was 33 degrees and your body actually is like, are we dying? (laughs) And you, you, (laughs) and it's, what's so insane to me is when was that? Maybe two plus years ago. I don't know. Probably. And I've done different various levels of cold exposure therapy since then, but that true proper 33 degrees ice bath that I did, I am still able to access that today. Commonly I access that because I'm in that water and my body is like, get the heck out of this water. And I'm like, I'm breathing, I'm getting through it. And then you get out of the water, you feel like literally superwoman, like you could fly away, you have superpowers. And you made it. You survived. You got out. You're okay. In fact, you feel amazing. (laughs) And that ability to like breathe through the difficult experience, no, it was not comfortable, far from it. But to get on the other side and say, I made it through that really hard experience by breathing. That was something, that was the only thing that got me through was my breath. And I'm still able to access that same breath, that same frequency of that breath I had in that ice bath. Today, when I'm in some type of panic mode or feeling really uncomfortable, maybe about to to go into panic mode of that breath, that I can make it through anything with this breath. I can really, that okayness, like you said, I'm not going to maybe feel magical and bubbly, (laughs) but I'm going to be okay. I'm going to survive. And so much of that fear, that fight or flight or fawn, it when we when we when we're feeling that inner child fear, it is a matter of life and death. Like that's what it feels like as a kid. Is is if I don't have connection with my caregiver, that is life or death. If I don't right, and so to be able to breathe through that and widen your window of tolerance for me, I love doing that with cold exposure therapy. Is there are there any other kind of ways maybe similar? to the concept of cold therapy that people can safely practice widening their window of tolerance? Absolutely. You know, the cold is something that we see touching in on your vagus nerve, which is your 12th cranial nerve. And that one has a direct line, like, um, like a hotline to your parasympathetic, which is your regulatory system. 
And so that's a proven piece. We know that holding ice cubes, if you're going to have a panic attack, it's a great quick tip. I know that, you know, you're uh, familiar with putting your face into a bowl of ice water. That's another quick one. <laughs> I to am do. familiar. <laughs> <laughs> She's a religious face bowl ice bather. <laughs> I sure am. I love a good face ice dunk. <laughs> <laughs> the other quick one is eating sour candy. Mm. I've heard that. I have heard that. I've actually never tried that. Yeah. I've never had sour candy on hand. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's, um, it's actually pretty interesting. You know, if you keep, you know, buy like a, whatever, 20 pack of warheads and keep them in your purse, keep them in your car, keep them around the house. I have, um, I've used that once or twice myself and because it's such a ooh, re- reaction mm. in your mouth, all of your receptors are actually now going to the taste in your mouth rather than the like, oh no, no, no panic feeling. And it's just like a redirection essentially. Um, But I just saw somebody's review of it. um, A woman, you know, on my news source, the internet um, (laughs) said (laughs) that this was by far the most successful tool trick that she had ever used. And she said, I have never felt a panic attack disappear so fast. That's wild. Right? Not me about to go buy it. Carissa's <laughs> like Just already looking it up. <laughs> you you come to my house and there's like candy bowls of warheads like in every room. Okay, I've loved sour candy like my whole life. I wonder if that mm. is my body is like craving that to help me. Yeah, the the yeah, that I love pin, that that feeling. You know, it's really interesting as a concept too, because this idea that we've been talking about today is like, notice more, be with it, be with it, be with it. And then these tricks are, don't be with it, mm-hmm. change it, <laughs> yeah, get out of it, <laughs> which feels a little counterintuitive to the, to the path that we've been taking. And I think the way that I just want to note it really comes in is this idea of grace. You don't have to get it right mm. every time. You don't always have to be with it. My gosh. I can sit here and tell you that I live and breathe this work and I still ignore it. I absolutely don't do it every time. That if we are holding ourselves to this like high level of perfection of like success every time, I will always notice my body. I will always be in it. You're not really giving yourself to be a human. Mm -hmm. You need room. You need room to be a human. And that is really what this work is more about than anything. Sure, regulate and heal, but have space and safety enough it's just human and don't put mm. the pressure of perfection in your responses on top of yeah your right maybe need for perfection or whatever mm-hmm. whatever it is you're dealing with um we forgot to ask you Steph if you have to go in three minutes or do you have a window do you have a window of tolerance for do you have a window? Wow. <laughs> I actually gals when you said this was an hour I was like <laughs> that's cute <laughs> like we're not gonna gab for two um right no I've got, so I've got another 30 for you guys yeah I just had a feeling that this okay. was maybe gonna be so you much fun to rush off you had just intuition know. okay I think I have just maybe one more question and then we do have a fun like speed round of questions we want to ask you. Um, So can you kind of leave us with, and we have talked about this, but maybe something else you have insight for is like, how do we let our bodies into our business and guide how we do business, how we run business, how we operate 
day-to-day as business owners or side hustlers or whatever that is, how do we kind of tie all this together in a way that's going to give people who maybe aren't like in somatic therapy or any therapy, but they can walk away from this episode being like, that's really helpful for me moving forward and something I want to work toward achieving. Totally. I love a tangible take home. Thank you for bringing that in. Um, You know, I think a good place to start is to do a couple journaling prompts. Mm. Let's start this machine rolling for you to get curious. You know, we've used that word over and over today. And if we are to get curious about your ideal dream, a really common question that we use in the psychotherapy world is the magic wand question. If I had a magic wand and I could give you the perfect thing, the best case scenario right now, just poof, Mm. what would it be? And asking ourselves that question first and foremost around our business, not only what do I want this business to look like, what do I want this business to feel like? Mm. How do I want to be in this business? Who do I want to be in this business? Do Such I, a good question. Yeah. Do I want to yeah. be the CEO? Do I want to be the manager on the ground, You know, all hands on deck? And whatever it is that you want, first we have to identify that thing. And so journaling, if a fairy were to come down and give me everything that I want, what is it that I really want in this business? What is the experience? And then from there, we can start to work backwards. We Mm. can start to do the tangible, planable things that we can um, have control over to make this a reality. But if we don't know where we're going, it's going to be a lot harder to get there. Mm -hmm. I love that because I think so much in business goal setting. We think about the what of what we want. I want this much money. I want to work this amount of hours. I want my schedule to look like this. But to actually think, okay, in two years from now, what do I want my business to feel like? What's the experience my body is going to have? And if we're looking at that in a way of, I want to feel peaceful. I want to feel peaceful. And what does that look like? And how does that change the way I do my business and show up as an entrepreneur or even somebody working in a nine to five or whatever it is? How do I now using that, your body as a compass in that way? Okay. Actually, my goal is to feel peaceful and how that dictates and changes the decisions, the actual actions you make when now you're looking at it through that perspective. I just feel like there's so much like, what's your five-year plan? Like, where do you want to be in five years? It's like, what do you want to feel like in five years? What do you want to feel like tomorrow? And what's something you could do to to make you 1% closer to that that feeling, right? I just love that so much. Yeah. Well, I want to maybe even make it like really more applicable, you know, for both of you having been in the wedding photographer industry, which can be Mm -hmm. so competitive and so intensive, you know, crazy hours and crazy people. (laughs) You could be a wedding photographer and have your goal to, I want to feel in love every day. That's why I photograph weddings Mm -hmm. is to really focus on the love versus I want to be a wedding photographer because I want to make money because I want to feel supported and provided for very different kinds of work. Technically the same field, technically the same job, but very different ways that you're going to go about it and different ways you're going to go about achieving it. That's so That's true. Amazing. Chris, I feel totally like you and shaped. I, I feel like we've, and we want to talk about this in a whole other episode, like the way that you and I have pivoted coming out of our twenties and into our thirties, just like not running from that place of what do I want my business to be, but how do we want it to feel? I think that'll be just fun to 
keep diving in and like piggyback off of this whole episode and, and share more about like how that's played out in our own lives and experiences with business. Yes. I love that. Okay. Steph. So good. Holy moly. I you're just... so, uh, you're so calm. And I know you probably get <laughs> that a lot, but like, I just hope, I just have a feeling that people who are listening are just being like, oh, this is like a warm hug, a warm hug. I was just going to say that. I'm, uh. I'm so glad to hear that's the best kind of feedback, you know, you can get being in this field is that you can feel me from all the mm, way I over can there. Feel your calm. Yeah. I sure can. And it's funny, you know, I, um, I had a client recently where I just wanted to give them a little extra support before they did something scary that we'd been working on. And so I sent them a voice memo ahead of time. And after they came to a session after that experience, they were like, that voice memo was cold. And I was like, oh, I'm so glad it helped. And they were like, no, I don't think you understand. Like the rhythm and the cadence and the tone, like I'm here, you're okay, you've got this. She was like, there was something about your tone of voice that like really took me mm-hmm. to that place. And I want to note that that is a science-based experience. When we look at folks, you know, I, mm-hmm. I know this is total tangent, but um, when we look at Alzheimer's, people have been playing music for Alzheimer's patients and they're seeing memory actually come back mm-hmm. in a way that nothing else is working, but the sound, your, your end... That is one of your senses, right? When we look at a body perspective, sight, sound, smell, taste, tactile experience, that's really how your body holds memory. And so using sound to bring you back to yourself, using smell, using taste, right? The warheads, we can use Mm -hmm. all of these different body cues to take us to our home base, to our anchor, just like my client used the sound of my voice as someone that's created that container with them. The sound of me was the memory of the experience of, oh, I'm okay. And what is the Mm -hmm. sound for you of I'm okay? You know, Chris has got that sensation of the cold, so she doesn't need to actually get into the ice bath. She can hold the ice cube and her body goes, oh, I remember this. I've done this before. Mm -hmm. The little reminders that bring you back, little anchors. Thank you so much for sharing. Um, I feel like we have so much to reflect on and I need to listen back to this, but... (laughs) We are, I need to listen back without disassociating in the middle. Yeah. <laughs> you should text me later. <laughs> Wait. Um, okay. This is a fun little, we call it sort of speed round because we're, you obviously don't know what the questions are, but um, we're saying them speedy, but you don't know what they are. So maybe you take a pause and decide your answer. And then they, they get a little deeper. Yeah. They're going to get progressively more personal. Okay. You need a second, if you need a second to think, or we like go on a tangent of talking about it, totally fine. So fine. it's sort yeah. of, sort of, sort of speed round. round. The are nicest, you ready? The nicest speed round. You guys are so <laughs> kind. Yeah. It's speedy, but if you need a second, it doesn't have <laughs> to be speedy. It's speedy, but kind. <laughs> yeah. A peaceful speed round. <laughs> Gentle. <laughs> okay. What is your current go-to snack? Chips and salsa. Ooh, now I'm hungry. Okay, what's your favorite place you visited? That's uh, a hard one. You've traveled well, a lot. I have traveled a lot. I'm going to say the most uh, recent one, um, scuba diving in Thailand. Oh, mm. casual. 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 <laughs> <laughs> a current favorite product that you're super into right now? Oh, I just got this new... Um, face moisturizer that has snail mucin in it. Oh yeah. Oh, I was influenced God. to get that. 
I do I need to buy it? Eat. Do I need to buy it? I'm like, come okay. visit me. Let me slather your face in snail and then buy it. I it tangibly is sticky. Yeah, it's sticky. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's it, like the, the right steel. amount of slime. It is slime. It is slime. I did it, it on is. my partner Chris the last couple nights. That's a cute thing he's been doing with me is letting me do my skincare nighttime routine on him while I'm doing it to myself. A facial. Can you do that to me next time we're together? That sounds like pampering. (laughs) It it literally, I feel a difference. I feel a tangible difference. Okay. I'm going to buy it now. Thank you. (laughs) Okay. What was your first job? Technically was washing cars for my parents, but um, more literally, I was a art docent at the Santa Barbara Art Museum in the summer for a um, like art installation group. I would get stationed at different areas and I would just talk about the art. That's I cute. Why am I old that I learned the word docent? <laughs> <laughs> that is the term is docent. Okay, oh, great. how old were you when you did that? Maybe 15. I just feel like you were such a good art docent. Like, <laughs> I, I don't come know. from an art but, family. My mom know, is an art teacher. Cute. So yeah, that was. That tracks. Yeah. <laughs> I love it. Would you rather watch a show or read a book? Right now, read a book. I just started reading Shantarang. Have you guys no read clue. that one? <gasps> I'm only on chapter two, but my God, it is so okay. It's a th- thick book. But she thick, thick book. She thick. She thick. But so good. <laughs> they made it into a Apple TV show. And all of my like deep reader friends that are like hard send on the book life have said like, this is the one and two chapters in I'm sold. Is it a fantasy book? I know you like, is it? It is technically like historical fiction. The guy who wrote it, it is based off of his life, but I think he's kind of fluffed it. Um, The concept though, is he's an Australian man that, that actually did escape from prison. Whoa. And okay. Then he goes like Fun. on the run and his experiences. Yeah. Very good. Wow. Okay. Cool. What is your phone wallpaper right now? A lioness. Oh. Let's see it. Probably a lot of text from my mom. One second. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> oh. Not what okay. I expected. Lioness. Fierce. Okay. Do you have any repeating dreams? <laughs> oh, uh, uh, well, I do. They are dark. And this is actually some of my uh, most active work. This is probably what I'm working on in therapy, hence my wow. moment of awkwardness here. And my apologies for scratching the microphone. I know that sounded terrible for everyone. <laughs> um, I do have repeating dreams. I have them actually quite frequently. Um the theme, which is going to give you a lot of insight into my psychology, um, the world is ending and I'm the only one that can fix it. Mm, I Wow. Ooh, <laughs> that one got Carissa. <laughs> I love you. <laughs> you know, it's really interesting. I'm a very vivid dreamer. And so that experience sometimes can be really overwhelming coming back to this reality is a hard transition. Sometimes, you know, the experience yeah. of like the world ending, talk about, um, you know, panic attacks, having a panic attack in your, in your, in a dream and then coming back mm. to life and being like, am I okay? Did that happen? It can, um, right. can be really complex. 
which is something I've been noticing and so something I'm getting support to work Whoa. on. Oh, lots of morning grounding out of the bed. Yeah. Whew. We yeah. didn't mean for that to be as deep of a question. No. And after it was asked, I was like, that could be at the end. That could be a, <laughs> one of the deeper questions. <laughs> That's supposed to be the transition question from the casual to the deep. Oops. <laughs> Oopsie. Okay. How what human. is, uh, how human, uh, what is a compliment you hear most online? Um, I think the most common one is that resonated with me. Mm. Mm -hmm. Wow. This really spoke to me. Wow. That is exactly how I feel. Um, the validation. Yeah. 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 You know, we've used so many analogies today and those resonate with a lot of people and they go, Oh my God, Mm -hmm. you're right. That is what I feel. And, Mm -hmm. um, yeah, that's the compliment that I get the most online. Mm. What about, compliments from people you hear in your real life? What do they say? Um, most common. I think I get that I'm a good listener or I'm very present. That's probably the one I get Mm -hmm. most frequently. I think my favorite compliment ever has been that I'm somebody's most fun friend. Which was just, oh, that's speak to me. That's right. Tell me I'm fun. Maybe we're going to add that to the list. What's your favorite compliment to get? Mm-hmm. That's a good one. That has some good insight. Yeah. Um, okay. What's a recent self-realization that you've had? Mm. Wow. This one is such a tasty one that I've been really working on a lot. Maybe we mm. don't have to know. Maybe you don't have to connect mm. this dot. Maybe it's okay. And we don't have to dig any deeper. Maybe you had a feeling and that's all we really need to know. Maybe it doesn't need to Pandora's box open into 10 more sessions about childhood trauma. You had a feeling. Mm -hmm. You okay now? Cool. Let's keep going. That's simple. The freedom in that. feels like permission. Yes. Yes. And safety. I love that. I'm Mm -hmm. safe enough to not have to dig. Ooh, Mm -hmm. I love that. Ooh. What is the biggest misconception that people have about you? Oh, about me? Um, When you say people, give me like a frame of reference, like people who don't know me or people who do know me. I would say not your inner, inner circle, like maybe circle two or three or people on the internet. Oh, um, that everybody I meet, I'm psychoanalyzing. Oh, okay. Like you that meet someone sense. and you're just like, I'm figuring you out. Beep, bop, boop, boop. Yeah. The number of times <laughs> that someone's gone, oh yeah, well, you know, Steph is a therapist and someone goes, oh, don't psychoanalyze me. You're not, you're not paying you're like, me. I don't care. <laughs> like, good luck with your life. Like if you, if you want me to, I will, but like, I don't care. <laughs> right. You're not like in that mode 24 yeah. seven. No, it's exa- I'll be exhausting. Yes. For yeah. sure. Um, what is a limiting belief you've had to overcome or are overcoming currently? Hmm. Um, that if I am big and loud, then I'm taking up somebody else's space. Mm-hmm. Whoa, that's a lot different than too much space. It's mm-hmm. that you're taking up somebody else's space. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah very- I love when you're big and loud. Thank you. 
I love when I'm big and loud too. Yeah, very directly related to the idea that me being big and loud hurts somebody. Mm. Mm-hmm. Oof. Okay, last question. What do you need to hear right now? Oh, that's nice. Hold on, I'm going to just take a second for that one. Mm-hmm. Let it soak. We can pause. I think what I need to hear right now, like what I hear when I ask my body, what do we need to hear right now? Um, What I hear her say is everything is happening in perfect timing. Mm. And we don't need to know any more than that. Like, it's already happening in the way it's supposed to. And that's all we need to know. I don't need to know why it's happening now, why it didn't happen sooner. It's, it's happening now. I think that one got Ashton. It did. It did. Was that what you also needed to hear? I constantly need to hear this. Yeah. So yes. Mm-hmm. Oh, it's very true for me. That's a, a common phrase Ashton and I say to each other is mm. you're right on time um, as a reminder. So that yep. is also exactly what Ashton's body needs to hear. <laughs> this is the third time we've like just started recording our podcast and I've cried three times. Which is funny because I feel like I'm more of a crier than you in yeah. general. Yeah. Mm. But I feel freedom to cry here and that's I love feels that. good. Yeah. Oh, that was beautiful stuff. Thank you for sharing those um, very personal questions. I know. Those are vulnerable, and we're so happy that you let us in to those pieces of you. Thank Thank you. you. Thank you. You're so beautiful. Thank you. You guys, this is a dream come true for me to see, to to converse with two of my best friends together, like about topics we love like this. I love it so much. And Steph, you are just such a special human to me and I'm so grateful to know you and to be witnessed by you and to get to witness you. It is like the biggest honor to be your friend. Anybody Mm. who's your friend is so freaking lucky. So I love you so much. Uh, Okay, guys. Uh, Steph, can you tell us where people can find you? Absolutely. Um, I am most frequently found on Instagram. I also have platforms on YouTube and TikTok and Facebook, but I'm most uh, committed on Instagram. And you can find me there at Stephanie Somatics with an S at the end. Perfect. And Stephanie is with a PH and an IE. Um, and for folks who are curious about this work and maybe want to work with me or my team, the best place to find me is my website, which is stephaniesomatics.com, same spelling. Um, this work awesome. is. Yeah, meant to, we're meant to walk the walk, and that's really how I teach. Um, and really, my goal is to practice what I preach. Mm, I love it. And you have a beautiful course called The 30 Days to Embodiment. Um, it's available right now, right? People can go get this right now on your website. Can you tell us a little bit about the course and what someone can expect when they purchase that from you? Yeah, this is a great like beginning step. It's a good 101 for how to bring the somatic into your body. We talked about embodiment today, and this is literally how to start doing that. So um, it's 30 days, and you only get access to one day at a time for my overachievers who want to knock it all out in one go. (laughs) There's a reason I did it this way. Um, And 
the first week of it is just the education. It's just the information. This is why what we're going to do works. And then I'll actually walk you through it's, um, they're all video recordings. And so I will guide you through different somatic exercises so that you can not only try them on, but actually have me try them with you so that you can see. Sometimes we need a role model. What does it look like to feel my feelings? I'll show you how to do that. Um, and all of the exercises in there are the same exercises that I do with clients that I see individually in the first month. Oh, that's so cool. And I love that because I think at least a lot of times in conversations with my friends around therapy, money and finances is a big reason that people don't go to therapy. And I love a course like this because it's not necessarily the same thing as be, having a present witness, but it's a beautiful starting step and and people can do it self-guided. They still get honestly, the witness of your presence through those videos mm -hmm. and your voice, just as your voice was a gift to that client you had, people still get to experience that and they get to really start to learn those tools so that when they maybe do have the finances or desire to go to therapy, they're, they're, they're starting off with some, some tools under their belt. So I love that accessibility yeah. so much for people. Love that for us. We love, love that, that for us. us. <laughs> we love that for oh, us. Well, yeah. thank you so much for being here and just sharing your heart and wisdom with everyone listening. You made our day. We love you, you so much. You made our day. All right. Thanks, we'll see guys. you all next week. Bye. Bye.